right now at Kohl's. Take an extra 25% off top active brands, including Under Armour for her. Get Nike shoes for the family, $48.75 and under, and save on Levi's denim for the family. Plus, get limited contact store drive up and get even more for your wallet with Kohl's Cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. 25% off Under Armour ends August 9th. Nike ends August 8th. Levi's sale ends August 30th. Offers and coupons do not apply. Select styles. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. Ctmobile.com. It is your Classic Metal Show right here on the ClassicMetalShow.com. From the Tales from the Strip release from 2005, that is Gypsy Soul. And uh, probably the oldest Gypsy Soul I know and hard rock and heavy metal is my good friend Steve Riley. How are you, Steve? Long time no speak. Uh, Neely, it's good to talk to you, brother. How are you? Very well. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you during these trying times in this world with... Uh, Obviously, this virus going around and live shows being canceled and people just oh, clamoring know. for uh, anything to entertain them. And hopefully uh, you and I can bring a little bit of entertainment and uh, shed some uh, positive light to the fans. What do you think? Absolutely. I'm ready. All right. Well, Steve, uh, I, I've known you since uh, the late 90s, and, and it's always a pleasure to speak with you Uh I'm going to pay you a compliment here. As long as I've known you uh, and I speak of you highly on the Classic Metal Show, we are in our 25th year now, but uh, wow. you uh, you have always treated me very well. You've always treated me like a real bro and a friend, and I thank you for that and uh, your camaraderie through the years. Oh, you're welcome, brother. You're a good guy and you're a true rocker. Yeah. Well, you always would call me the warrior. You are, man. You are a warrior. <laughs> well, well, Steve, uh, you know, you've had a long history in the uh, music world. I mean, I don't need to, you know, read your whole credentials, but obviously people know you from L.A. Guns uh, and Wasp, and you even did a small stint with a uh, version of Steppenwolf and you know you're you're no uh you're no slouch you you are a uh driven rocker and uh you're a performer and you know you love the fans and you love to perform and well here you are with a uh you know and I, and I don't want this to come off poorly but here you are with a version of LA Guns yeah you know what uh, nearly it's the, it's pretty much me continuing on LA Guns like I've done for the last 30 33 years um, all of the classic members have left at one point or another and I just kept it going you know and that's what I'm doing right now right well you know uh, obviously uh, you kind of were out of the uh, you know picture there for a while when uh, Phil rejoined with Tracy and they they went out there continuing the LA guns name and then uh, obviously the opportunity arose uh to have you perform at m3 is that where all this uh started is this where the idea of of your version of la guns came up or or were you thinking of doing something prior to that 
No, you know, I, I tell you what, when Phil left, man, it was uh, similar to other situations with the band when other people left. Like I told you, all four of the other classic members left at one point or another. And when he left in 2017, he was, uh, you know, going to do six months of shows with Tracy and then be back with me because he didn't think that he was going to be able to last long with Tracy because of their past uh, temperaments with each other. And I think that's well documented, too, on how they never really got along. So, you know, when he said he was going to do those shows, I was taken aback a little bit, but I knew that I just had to pick myself up and start moving forward. And uh, I, I got in touch with Kelly Nichols, and we started writing songs and looking for other people. And the only thing that I wasn't doing was on the road at that time, you know, until the M3 show. But we were writing songs, and we were continuing on as L.A. Guns, you know, moving merchandise and, and just absolutely continuing our pace or at where we were and having like having Kelly back is awesome. But no, I never really started another version of LA Guns. I'm just continuing LA Guns on like I've always done. Right, absolutely. Well, you know, uh I think it was pretty well documented through the music news websites, be it Brave Words or Blabbermouth, that uh, you know, Tracy and Phil's uh version of LA Guns um were slated to play M three the year before and they uh, backed out because they weren't happy with the time slot that they were given. And then, uh, of course, the offer was made for you and and your lineup to to play M3. Did did you look at that as uh, here's my opportunity to give them the middle finger for for turning down their opportunity, or or was it uh, not quite that thought out? No, you know what, and if everybody remembers correctly, those two guys went out as Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis of L.A. Guns. That's how they started their shows, and they did many shows like that until they decided to call themselves L.A. Guns again. Why we didn't do um, M3 that first time it was offered to us was because we weren't ready to do it. We just weren't ready to go out and do some shows. We were writing songs, but still making sure that the band was secure and uh, and who we had with us. And uh, we just weren't ready to do that show at the time. But I'm never in that mode where I want to give somebody else, a classic member or another band, the finger and try to screw them over in any way. I could care less about that crap. And I think you know that would make me nearly. I was never in that mode of like mudslinging or going after people in the press. It's just not my style, and uh, I I know other people do it, and I think the fans are very well aware of it too. If somebody's bitter and and they go in the on the press all the time and they're putting other people down. I don't think it turns the fans on that much. I don't think that they dig it. And uh, I'm glad that I have never been like that. And Kelly's never been like that either. It's just not what we're about. Right. Absolutely. Well, again, you, you said it uh, yourself. Uh, I've known you a long time and uh, you've, you've been nothing but kind to me. And I, I don't think I've ever heard a, a bad word come out of your mouth, to be honest with you. I've been trying to uh, be that way my whole career before LA Guns, before was before I did Kill, uh, back in the 70s when I started recording, I knew that, you know, I and I started recording in 75. So when I started recording, I knew one way to keep working 
to keep being able to get jobs and move on in this this business, you have to be cool to people. You have to be good to everybody and cool to everybody. That's including your bandmates, managers, and uh, fans, everybody. And that's one way to be able to continue a career. That's why I've always been able to work, and, and I've worked nonstop since 75. And uh, I think it really comes back in spades, man. If, if you're cool to people, they, you'll be able to work a long time. And uh, like I said, the fans are very well aware of it, too, that that's not my style, and I'm proud it's not my style, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you something, Steve. You know, obviously, uh, Phil and Tracy, uh, you know, very high-profile members of the L.A. Guns legacy. It, it always boils down to the guitarist and the vocalist. You know, you got, you know, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page or or Steven Tyler and Joe Perry or, you know, you know George Lynch and Don Dockin. You know, it, it always comes down to those two focal points in the band uh, when Steve when, uh, when uh, Phil and Tracy started calling themselves L.A. Guns again, and obviously the version you have, uh, you know, emerged, did you know that this was going to be an issue? Did you know, okay, I'm I'm going to do this, but I know this is going to cause, you know, a little bit of controversy. Did that go through your mind at all? Oh, uh, no, not at all, because I was already tempted to it, because uh, if you remember correctly, Tracy quit in 2002, and Phil Lewis and I had carried on the, the band for like 15 years on our own doing like four albums, maybe five. I think it was four. But um, we continued on and there was Tracy taking out another L.A. Guns. So, no, I was already used to it. And when two people own the mark and the name, then you can do that. And I never contested Tracy doing that, even while Phil was with me for those 15 years while he was out of the band. So I was already tempered to, and I already knew that, you know, when he originally did that back in the 2000s, that he created confusion immediately. And I believe that's when Phil went off on him for a number of years in the press on Eddie Trunk's TV show. He went off on Tracy nonstop, and he didn't like him, and he didn't like what he was doing by creating the confusion. So it's something I'm already used to, you know. I never quit L.A. Guns. I never intended to stop working in L.A. Guns. It's just a matter of people leaving the band. The confusion thing, it was already there. It was already happening because Tracy started that confusion back in 2006, I believe, 2005, after he did Bride to Destruction and a couple of other projects. He started his own L.A. Guns while Phil and I were working and recording with Andy Johns and doing four albums with Andy Johns and, and you know, a live album. And we just continued working on So that confusion has already been there. Right. Yeah, well, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's unfortunate that some of the most prominent bands that uh, rose up in the 80s have faced that kind of controversy, be it uh, L.A. Guns or Rat or Great White you know, a couple of different versions out there touring around under the same moniker and whatnot. Sure. And sure. I, I don't know if you saw it or not, uh, Steve, but uh, there's a documentary out there that was released on uh, Cleopatra Records uh, directed by uh, Bob Nelbandian called Band vs. Brand. Are you familiar with that at all? 
You know what? I've heard of it, and I haven't seen it yet, though. I, but I'm definitely familiar with seeing it somewhere. I've read about it. Yeah, well, I got to be a little part of that as well. I got to do a little bit of cameo appearances in this documentary. Oh, and I recommend great. you see it. It's it's on Amazon, and you can go check it out. But this is the whole argument about the legacy bands who've got a long-tenured career that have made a, a name. And uh, right. that's that's what it boils down to is when members of a band that uh, have lasted so many decades, it, it comes down to that recognizable name. And obviously that L.A. Guns Shield and the L.A. Guns name means something to promoters to allow you to go out and, and promote yourself as that band and, and play those gigs and make that's your right. money. That's right. So, and I tell you what, you know, you, when you talk about L.A. Guns and you talk about the singer and guitar player, the, the fact of it is is that the biggest song L.A. Guns had was written by Kelly Nichols. He wrote Ballad of Jane. Right. And so, you know, the deal is is that most of our publishing starts off with Ballad of Jane. That's pretty much our big heavyweight in our publishing. And I'll tell you what, he wrote that, and he wrote a number of other songs. He actually wrote Crawl, too, the new single. But he's a prolific songwriter. He contributed so much to the songwriting in the early years, as I did, too. But, you know, the fact of it is, he brought the biggest song in that we're recognized for, Ballad of Jane. That's Kelly Nichols' composition. So, you know, I mean, I don't know how you weigh one against the other. Uh, it, it's something that, you know... I've faced off a number of years nearly, and it's like, you know, all of the guys have quit at one time or another. I just kept L.A. Guns going. The real L.A. Guns, the original L.A. Guns, I kept going. I've been running the business all of this time since 1988 and striking up record deals and world tours and what have you and all kinds of concerts. And the deal is, is that, you know, I never really stopped, and so... If Tracy wanted to take out another L.A. Guns, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't contest it. So it is a problem with a lot of legacy bands, and uh, it's something that you can't avoid. I, I was always in the mode. I was so disappointed with the original Wasp breaking up and being disbanded with me, Chris Blackie, and Randy Piper. I wanted that to go on forever. I just love original lineups. With this band... I pretty much begged everybody from the classic lineup not to quit at one point or another. And when they wanted to leave, I tried to talk them out of it and say, come on, hang on, this is a good thing we have. It's something that we could do pretty much forever. And so I tried to talk everybody out of it. And a lot of times it wasn't successful. And a lot of times I was successful, like in getting Phil back into the band with me and Tracy. But, you know, it doesn't always work out the way you want it, especially in this business. Right. Well, when you guys reunited as the original lineup, what was it, the late 90s or early part of the 2000s? Um, yeah, 99, Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hung out with you guys on a couple of occasions. Um you know, you guys played in Cleveland a couple of times. You had the, right. you know, the, you had the whole touring regalia with the tour buses and the whole thing going on. And, That's right. You know, That's I got right. to hang out with you a couple of times. In fact, I, I sponsored a meet and greet uh, for Man in the Moon uh, for you right. guys at a, record, at a record store. And I got this thing 
hanging on my wall proudly here where where we got pictures nice. of the of of us all in front of the limo that uh, yeah right and uh re, but the thing is is at that time you guys looked and acted as if you were having the time of your lives uh you and know during that re- reunion time and unfortunately it just sort of parted ways to where it, you know it came down to uh, you, Phil, and, and Tracy, and then of course Tracy went on to work with Nikki Six, and the rest is history. But but the fact is, is that as a band, LA Guns, and you know how much I love LA Guns. I love you guys. I've been been to right. many, many, many shows, uh, right. and and uh, you know, as a fan and a friend, I always like to see you guys carry on and do what you do. Uh, you know what, brother? When that happened in 99, they asked us to get together to do a Greatest Hits Black Beauties album. And what happened was we re-recorded like eight of the old classic songs, and then we wrote together five new compositions for that album, the Black Beauties Greatest Hits album. And then we followed that up with Live on the Strip with the original five guys. And when we started touring behind that, Mick Cripps uh, and Kelly Nichols, they, they weren't really interested in going on, especially Mick. And uh, that was when, you know, I, I first tried to talk. I was so happy that everybody got back together, first of all. I was so thrilled that everybody, all five of us were back together. And I think you could see that in my face. I was digging it. But the fact of it is is that a couple of guys wanted to leave again. They, It's not so easy touring nowadays, you know, from... 1994 on pretty much it's been kind of like you know you really have to dig in and want to do what you're doing with this it's not the big budget easy street that everybody had in the 80s you know with the big machine around you and you're landing on an iron maiden tour and on a kiss tour and what have you there was one after another touring nowadays from like 95 on has been like you have to dig in because you're going to do a lot of clubs. You're going to play one club after another uh, during the week, and you're going to go on at maybe midnight, maybe sometimes 12.30 in the morning. Well, you are the Hollywood vampires after all. Yeah, and so, you know, that's why I I could dig on it, and I could do it because that's what I really want to do. I really want to play with the band, and I want to play live and record. But if somebody doesn't want to do it, you know, there's no way I can only try to talk them out of it and say, come on, try to do this or even try to do this and something else at the same time. But um, as was the case with Tracy, I thought that he could do L.A. Guns and do Brides, just like Mickey did Motley and Brides. And so there was no reason to do one or the other. And I tried to talk him out of that and filled it too and pretty much told us to, uh, you know, fuck off, and that was that. He didn't want to have anything to do with us, and he wanted to quit the band and leave outright. And so when you can't talk somebody out of leaving, you just have to, like, suck it up and understand that person just doesn't want to do this anymore. And so that's what happened with that 99-2000 reunion with the classic lineup. It was a blast to go in and do the five new songs for their Greatest Hits album and then do the Live on the Strip album, too. I mean, we had a great time being together, but it was short-lived, and I'm sorry about that. I I felt really bad that we couldn't just keep it together and keep running together, but uh, 
they wanted to leave. And that was when, you know, uh, I guess me and Trace and Phil decided to keep moving forward. And then Phil left. And then Tracy and I kept it going. So you could see the common denominator here. Yeah. It was me. I kept going. I kept, <laughs> I kept, I kept trying to go. Whether it was with the classic lineup, or with just Tracy alone, or with Phil and Tracy, and then just Phil alone, it was me with everybody moving things forward, getting new record deals, getting the dates set up, renting the buses. I mean everything. I do it all. I don't care. That's what fell into my lap that I had to pretty much do that for this band. But, you know, I just uh, want you to know that I am into classic lineups. I, that's what I am into, too. I'm just like every other fan, but if that classic lineup has people within it that don't want to do it anymore and don't want to play with each other, there's really nothing you can do. You just have to kind of bear down and say, okay, we're going to keep going forward, and I'm going to have to get somebody good to replace you and somebody that I can move forward with. And uh, I did that with all of the guys separately and together. And I'm continually doing it right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in the early two thousands prior to Tracy uh, going to do the brides of destruction, you guys were out there touring on waking the dead, which in my opinion, that record just rips your face off. That that was one of oh, the most that was one of the most aggressive LA Guns releases uh, next to Vicious Circle. I I agree. I think that uh, Waking the Dead was so good. We walked in and did that with Andy Johns. It was the first album we did with Andy Johns, and uh, he's such a great producer. And rest in peace. But it was the first album we did with him, and. It turned out great. I love that album, and I love the way it turned out. And we were on tour to do that. We had done a number of U.S. shows, and then we got the offer to do, and this is Phil, Tracy, and myself together, and we got the offer to do an Alice Cooper tour because he was on the same label as us. And so, you know, we not only had a second option on the record with the label, but we were on the same label as Cooper, and he wanted to take us, I mean, pretty much around the world. He wanted to take us out with him, starting in Europe and going through Asia and everywhere, and then back into the States. So we were really digging what was going to happen. We were going to come off this club tour from Waking the Dead in the U.S. and then jump on Alice Cooper tour. And everything was set up for perfectly. And this is when Tracy came to me and Phil and said, I'm leaving the band. And it came out of nowhere. It was like we tried to talk to him and say, hey, can't you do both of them? Because it seems like it's going to be almost a side project for Nikki Six too, you know, even though they were going to put a lot of effort into it. I knew Nikki wasn't going to leave Motley. So the deal was, was that can't you do both of them? And he adamantly said, fuck you guys, I'm out. And me and Phil tried to talk him out of it. And then we looked at each other in the back of the bus and we realized this guy's really going to leave. He's going to quit. And that's what he did nearly. He quit outright. He went and joined another band, signed a management deal, a record deal. He was out of L.A. Guns completely on his own. And there was nothing Phil and I could do to talk him out of it. And so, you know, that really screwed up. When, when a band like Alice Cooper 
sees disarray in a band like like what was happening with us, they don't want to take you out on tour because they really don't know what's going to happen. They they could see what's happening at that point, and it was just a mess for us when we lost that tour, and we had to pick it up, me and Phil, and dust ourselves off and say, okay, let's move forward. And that's what we did for 15 years. We moved forward, the two of us, shoulder to shoulder. And nobody was more pissed off at Tracy than Phil Lewis. I think everybody knows that. He couldn't stand the guy. <laughs> and I pretty much I pretty much clamped up. I, even on that metal show with Trump, they wanted me to come on and answer Tracy's allegations against me and all of the shit he was throwing at me. And when I went on that show, I think everybody thought that I was going to unload on Tracy. And I didn't. I tried to take the high road. But before I could even say anything, Phil jumped in and went off on Tracy, saying all the allegations were untrue and that Tracy quit the band and he just he just went off on him. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. That, that situation between those two guys, I can't even size it up. I just know they don't like each other. Right. I know that's why. I, I just know it for a fact. I'm not making that up. This is something that was in my face, and I tried to calm down so many years and tried to calm these two guys down for not liking each other. And uh, it was pretty much why the band broke up in 92, too. Because, you know, like before that Vicious Circle tour, I mean, that Vicious Circle album, I was forced out of the band because... I had a falling out with Phil, but Tracy had already told me he wanted to leave the band while we were on tour with Skid Row. So it was a mess. And so even that Vicious Circle tour uh, album that they did was them flying in their pots or going into the studio separately. It was a mess when they were doing that album, something that I wouldn't allow if I was still right in that studio with them. But of course, they asked me can you come back and do the Vicious Circle tour? And I, I did. And I did that whole tour. And I tried to pull it together and see if I might be able to repair this thing and th this hatred that these guys had for each other. But, man, it's strong. Those guys don't like each other. And I don't know how they're lasting with each other or they're just playing a game with each other or what, what are they doing. But... It's a big game those guys play. Sure, absolutely. Well, that's a lot of that's a lot of history there, Steve. A lot of stuff I didn't even know, even as big of a fan as I am. So I appreciate you, you know, letting yeah. us take a peek behind the curtain here. What, <laughs> one of the things I want to ask you, Steve, and I never asked you this before, and and I think a lot of fans might still be wondering, even though it's been, uh, boy, what was it, ninety five? Let's see. It's, 95, uh, 06, that's, uh, 20, 20 some years already, uh, since, since you released the, uh, record with Chris Van Dahl, which, uh, was so far from the LA gun sound as it were. Yeah. What did you think about that, uh, project when you guys came back, you and Tracy came back, uh, with, with Chris Van Dahl on lead vocal, who was just this, uh, growler singer guy. You know, well, you know, here's, here's exactly what happened with that, Neely. When the original guys left, Mick, Kelly, and Phil, after the Vicious Circle tour, that's when Tracy and I decided, listen, we're partners. Let's move forward. We want to keep L.A. Guns going. 
And this is at a point, too, in time when Tracy was so enamored with uh, hard, heavy, heavy, dark metal, Pantera, and all of them. And I have nothing but respect for those bands, Pantera. And Vinnie Paul was a really good friend of mine. But the thing is, is that he was so enamored with them that he thought that we should take a complete left turn. I am always to the mode of, we're L.A. Guns. We should sound like L.A. Guns. We should do L.A. Guns sounding material because we've already established the sound. But he was adamant in taking a complete left turn, and if we were going to replace Phil, let's get somebody and write songs in a whole new vein. And that's what we did. We did an album, and if you could see, it was a one-off album because no other album that L.A. Guns has done has ever sounded like that. And so even the heaviest albums like Waking the Dead, nothing sounded like American Hardcore. It was a total departure from our sound, and it didn't go over very well because we had already established the sound, and you can't do that to fans. You, you, it's too shocking for the fans. They're, they're expecting it to sound you know, at least somewhat like L.A. Guns. And, you know, it, that was so to the left. It, it was such a left-hand turn, and it was all the way, and it's pretty much what Tracy wanted to do. He wanted to be a Pantera-sounding band. I think we might have pulled that off, but it wasn't L.A. Guns, and I don't know if the fans dug it enough, and uh, that's a shame, too, because... It was right after the classic lineup left, and, you know, we had just done the Vicious Circle tour, and we come out with that, and it was a pretty shocking thing to the fans, <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, it's what Chasey wanted to do, and at, the, at that point, too, it was such a fragile situation that I wanted to make sure Tracy was happy, too, and, you know, because me and him were going to be partners and keep going on the leg guns. I wanted to make sure he was happy, so I didn't really want to buck him and say, no, 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 let's not do that. But it, it was pretty much, you know, something he was enamored with at the time, Dimebag and the guys from Pantera and that whole sound, and he wanted to try it with this new singer, and it's nothing against Chris Mandel and Johnny Cripp. Those guys are a couple of really cool guys, but this is what Trace wanted to do, and we kind of followed his lead on that, and... You can see we never went back to that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you you did you did get catch a break there by uh, you know bringing on Ralph Sains, who obviously has made his uh, mark on the world with with um, right. his his uh, um, latest. You know, I I don't know if you want to call it a tribute band anymore. They started out as a tribute band, but uh, yeah, they're they're doing original stuff now as Steel Panther, and. Right. And, I'm uh, happy for him. Too. Yeah, and and Ralph is Ralph is a talent, man. Not only is he a talent, but he's a he's a nice guy to know as well. And, That's right. And you know he did a good job at uh, being a dynamic front man, and you know singing the L.A. Guns uh, catalog, you know to the best of his ability because he's sort of a chameleon singer. Obviously, he's yes. got the whole David Lee Roth thing going on, but. Regardless right. of that, he did the L.A. Guns catalog justice performing live. And, I agree. And I agree. Uh, obviously he had other things in mind rather than, you know, 
being the the L.A. Gun singer, and you guys brought in Jizzy Pearl, who has kind of a little bit of that whole raspy thing going on there, a la sure. Stephen Piercy, a little bit of Phil going on there, but he's sort of a chameleon guy, too. And he's yeah, sort you of, could see that we yeah we never went back to the American Hardcore thing. We knew that it didn't go over well. So with Ralph and then getting Jizzy, slowly we were coming back to being L.A. Guns, even though both of them had their own style, too, that they brought to it. It, they, it was slowly coming back to an L.A. Gun style, and then obviously that led in up to us doing the greatest hits with the original lineup and, and the uh, Live at the Strip. But, you know, yeah, I think that the, the, those, those two albums we did, too, Wasted with Ralph and uh, Shrinking Violet with uh, Jizzy Pearl, those are fun albums to do with those guys because both of the guys were very cool guys to work with. And they're both talented singers too, and I, you know, I, I feel like at least we started coming back to the LA Gun sound after that big, big departure with American Hardcore. Right, absolutely. But uh, you know, one more, one more thing, Stephen. I'm not going to dwell on the past so much, but I, I just want to find out, uh, you know, from your thoughts. You know, you're you're a you know, long-term time veteran in the music business and with all the changes that have gone on since, you know, you started recording back in the mid-70s and, right. and uh, you know, the record business not being what it used to be. At, right. what, at what point today does it make uh, sense to record a complete album? You know, I, I know that the older, you know, veteran musicians, that's their way. But at this point, it's just like, boy, is there what? What's in it for you outside of a creative outlet? It, it, it is the creative outlet, but at the same point, I think that from like you know, really, you know, two thousand, maybe even a little bit before that, when the internet took over, the internet took over, and the record stores went away, and the whole thing changed and turned upside down. From that point on, nearly. Nobody in rock, even the, the, the hierarchy of rock, even Aerosmith and the, the great bands uh, that are up there on the top, nobody's making money off of recorded material. What recorded material is now is a promotional piece that gets you out on tour. Where we make money is when we're on tour. So it's so much better to go out each year or maybe every other year with some new material just to show that the band is fresh and it's still writing material. It's a creative outlet, like you said, but it's really a promotional item. You don't expect it to sell a lot of copies because there isn't a lot of outlets to sell it in. There isn't a lot of radio for it to get airplay, so you're not going to make a lot of publishing off of radio play. So it's really a promotional item to go out and tour with. And you can definitely tour without it, but I think it helps a little bit to show that the band stays fresh in the fans' minds and it also for the band itself to write and keep creative juices flowing. We could live off of playing the old repertoire. We could definitely do that. But at the same time, you know, I don't think it really helps, and I think it helps promoters, it helps agents, and it helps the band 
to get out on tour to knowing that they have a new product out, even when you know that it's not going to sell well, it's not going to get a lot of airplay. It's just good to have a new product because it's almost turned into a promotional item now for touring. So, you know, I try to explain that to people, but it's kind of hard to understand. But when the record business turned upside down, you had to look at recording in a different light. And that's, that's how I look at it now. I look at it as a promotional item to get out there on tour and show that the band is fresh. Well, I, I want to ask you, Steve, since you've, you know, toured the world many times and played thousands of concerts and things, things have changed dramatically since, since I was a young guy back in the oh, early yeah. 80s and went to concerts and stuff. Whenever a band you know, a, a, a liked well-known band or a band that had, uh, you know, some, uh, promotion behind it. Whenever they had a new record out and you mentioned radio and stuff, radio obviously was a huge influence on people Big per- purchasing records. Whenever a band was out on tour, touring behind a new record and they had two or three hit singles from their new record, People couldn't wait to hear those songs. Man, I wonder if they're going to play that new, you know, whatever it was. But in today's environment, if a band has a new record out and they want to play one or two songs from that new record, oh, beer and piss break, beer and piss break, they're playing something new. Fuck that. I just want to hear Ballad of Jane or I want to hear Sex Action. I don't want to. That's going to happen for sure. And and what what do you attribute to that? As somebody who sits behind the kit, looks out at the audience, and you go, hey, we're going to play something new from our latest release, Renegades. Uh, You know, here's Crawl, and people go, oh, beer and piss break. I mean, (laughs) what. The best we can do is the best we can do right now, Neely, is to do what me and Kelly are doing, like with Crawl and the Renegades album. What we're trying to do is utilize the internet. We know that's where all of the attention is with any rock fans right now, is the internet. So maybe we can utilize the internet a little bit and push Crawl and talk about Crawl and talk about Renegades and release Crawl and get some feedback from the fans and maybe pepper the set with one or two songs. But you know, in reality, you're, you're right about all of what you just said, because if I go see Deep Purple, I'm really looking forward to hearing the old catalog, and I'm a fan of theirs, like I have young fans of L.A. Guns, younger fans of L.A. Guns. So, you know, you're right about that in a way. Me as a musician, I would probably be more interested than most fans in hearing some of the new stuff live, because we did a show with Deep Purple recently, like about a few years ago, and, you know, obviously hearing their old catalog is a gas. But, you know, I, I was interested in hearing a couple of their new things that Ian Gillen and Ian Pace wrote. So, you know, the thing is, is that we can only utilize the Internet as much as we can to try to drum up interest in something. I think a lot of fans have heard Crawl. There's been a, a lot of feedback on it. We're going to release another single from Renegades maybe in June and then see how this pandemic works out and whether we should release the full Renegades album before we go out on the road. But at at, at the very least, maybe try to utilize the Internet to drum up interest in one or two of the songs so we can pepper the set with a couple of new songs. We also know that there's going to be those certain fans that just want to hear 
the classic material. And at the same time, when that happens, we feel still good about it because we wrote the classic material. So doing that and having fans that are so generated into hearing those songs, that's a good thing too. But at the same time, we can only do what we can do now. And I think that's with every band. Like I said, mentioning from all the way up, from Aerosmith, the Guns N' Roses, all the way down, they, if they release new material, most of the fans are going to want to hear the classic songs. But, you know, you can only use the internet as much as you can to maybe drop, drop a little interest in it. So maybe with the interest that we got from Crawl, and it's got a lot of publicity on the internet and on the rock sites and polls and all of that and how they rate it and shit. So, you know, we'll definitely play Crawl in the set if we have another single out at the same time before we go out in August, then we'll play that single too. And we'll, we'll be ballsy enough to add a couple of new songs in, but you know, you're going to have those fans that are just going to want to hear classic material. And that's what happens when you're a classic rock band. And I thank God that I'm a classic rock band and that I have material that's lasted this long and people really want to hear it badly. And so, you know, it's a, it's a good and bad situation. And it's too bad that we don't have all the outlets that we had to promote new material. But we, that's where we're at right now. We can only utilize that Internet as much as we can and try to drum up interest in a couple of singles off of a new album and use that album to get us out on the road and get us on festivals and get us into casinos and on fairs. And that's what we're doing right now, because that's what me and Kelly are going to do anyways. We're not going to do the 250 club shows a year. We're not going to go that road. I've done that for so many years, and it's a brutal schedule. It's really, really difficult, but I did it, and I did it for so, so many years. What we want to do is we want to do like the 20 to 30 shows in the States that are all the M3s, the Rock and the Rivers, the... The, the Milwaukee Fest, the, you know, those Puma State Fears and then a bunch of casinos. We want to do some really nice soft ticket shows and not kill ourselves trying to do like, you know, like I said, two 250 club shows. That's a brutal, brutal schedule that we just don't want to try to do that anymore. Sure, absolutely. And I get it. So, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned this whole pandemic and, and I see that you have a lot of hope that uh, perhaps, you know, things might open back up to where you guys can actually get out there and play live in August. And, oh, you yeah. know, hopefully, you know, things will lighten up to where uh, I know a lot of, you know, tours have been canceled and promoters have canceled, uh, you know, their right. commitments to music. But, you know, you know we'll, we'll see what happens through the summertime. Yeah. And hopefully things well, I think will lighten you know up. Me, and you know me for so long, too. You know I'm a big, big sports junkie, too, and from being from Boston. And uh, I'm just a sports nut. And what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to gauge sports because sports is so connected to what we do with mass gatherings of people almost shoulder to shoulder. And so if the sports thing opens up, I imagine the concert thing will open up right be, right behind that. And right now, sports is thinking about continuing on with no fans in the stands 
that's not going to work with concerts. So right now, I have a revised uh, itinerary in front of me. We should have been out and have done like maybe 10 or 11 shows already with festivals and what have you and casinos. And those all either got postponed or canceled. And now I've got a new itinerary that starts in August and goes through um, October into November. And I got my fingers crossed, brother. This is something like we've never seen, and it really affects our industry. And so it, it, even the clubs, it doesn't matter if it's clubs or theaters or, or, or arena sheds, whatever, what have you. All across the board, our thing is being affected big time by it. I got my fingers crossed on this new itinerary I got in front of me. It starts early August. It starts at a casino in Las Vegas, and it goes on with all the festivals. And I don't know what's going to happen. We're all just waiting to see how this thing evens out. It, it could be bad. It could still be bad in August, and maybe that's all pushed back in, in 2021. But, you know, brother, this is something we've never seen. This is pretty serious stuff. Yep, absolutely. Well, Steve, you know, I, I uh, again, I, I count myself very fortunate to call you a friend and known you as long as I have. And, you know, I wish you good luck with uh, everything that you do. I just have one, one uh, final question here before I let you go. And uh, I know this is a real, real um, sore spot. Do you think you'll ever be able to mend your, uh, you know, rift with Tracy Guns? You know what, I, uh, Neely, you've known me for so long. I never say never to anything. Never, ever say never to anything. I don't know what it might come out to be, but, you know, I think you also know me as uh, well enough to know the, how much I try to keep classic lineups together. I was so disappointed in Wasp not being able to stay together. And so I tried so hard to keep this classic lineup together. If something happens in the future, I never say never, you know. Hopefully it will. That's why I pride myself in not mudslinging or anything like that because I don't want to look back and say, Jesus, I said this about this guy and that about this guy. I'll never go that route. So, yeah, you can count me in on saying uh, I'll never say never against anything that might happen in the future. We'll see what happens, but at the same time, I'm a working musician. I'm going to keep pushing forward, brother, and, and whatever happens, happens. But, you know, Kelly and I, we're determined to move forward. I can't wait for everybody to hear the rest of Renegades to see how creative we are and how good it sounds and how good this band sounds with Scotty Griffin and Kurt Folick. I mean, it sounds amazing. And uh, again, I'll, I'll, I will never say never to anything happening with classic lineups. I, I, I'm always open to everything. Sure, absolutely. All right, Steve. Well, why don't you throw those plugs out there? Where can people find out about the L.A. Guns? I tell you what, you can find out everything at laguns.net, and then we have the official Facebook of L.A. Guns. And Kelly Nichols runs both of those sites. He does all the artwork for the merchandise. And he updates it completely with everything we're doing, including all of the interviews we're doing. So go to laguns.net and you can find out everything that's going on with me and Kelly Nichols. Perfect. And my and I wanted to let you know, Steve, before I talk to you this evening, I talked to my partner, Chris, and he actually purchased the L.A. Guns Renegade ball cap 
off of your website right because on. because because he liked the design so well and he will be wearing it proudly on CMS TV which is our video portion of the classic metal show dynamite that's really good news brother and that you can always attribute that all of you anything that you see with merchandise coming from me and Kelly that's Kelly he's got such a great odd uh, I and he does everything that we're doing. He did the new album cover and the new badge logo. So everything that he's doing and that hat that he's that your partner is wearing, that's something Kelly designed. So I'm glad to hear that. That's really good news. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Steve. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Hopefully, we'll catch up again soon. We've we've crossed paths many times over the last couple of decades, and I'm sure we'll see again, uh, see each other again very soon. So. Uh, I will, uh, let you pick a departing song out of the LA guns catalog and maybe tell us a quick story about it. Well, you know what? I'll tell you a quick story and you know what? I'd like you to play Ballad of Jane. And the quick story on that is that when we recorded Ballad of Jane, I recorded that bed, the drum bed and for that album and for that song to a different song. It was a different melody a different song that i recorded and then one day kelly nichols walked in and said riley listen to this and he came in and sang the the whole melody and the chorus for the ballad of jane and what i recorded fit right in on what that is but i recorded a different bed for ballad of jane that ended up on cocked and loaded and it was a different song. And then Kelly Nichols walked in and said, I got a better melody for this. And he sang it to me. And I was like, wow. And so that's a little story behind um, Ballad Jane that a lot of people don't know. That thing came together while we were recording the album. And Kelly was totally responsible for that. So it was kind of a cool little story on that song. Perfect. All right, we'll go uh, catch Steve Riley and uh, L.A. Guns along with Kelly Nichols uh, when this virus lifts. And go check out uh, their forthcoming release called Renegades on uh, Golden Robot Records. And go check them out at laguns.net. So uh, here it is. This is a L.A. Guns classic with a Ballad of Jane exclusively here on your classic metal show. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Tune out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash Nevia.